It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, November 29th. I'm Desiree Frazier, in for Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the January 6th Select Committee is seeking out new testimony through another round of congressional subpoenas. Chairman and Mississippi Representative Benny Thompson shares an update on that and more. Then, how the Build Back Better bill could change health care coverage in the state. Plus, Mississippi's Christmas tree farmers prepare for the season. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Governor Tate Reeves, along with anti-abortion groups, joined together last night, calling on the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade. As MPB's Kobe Vance reports, the court will hear oral arguments for Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban Wednesday. At the New Horizon Church in Jackson, dozens of Mississippians who are opposed to abortion rights attended a Prayer for Life event, praying the Supreme Court will rule in favor of the state's 15-week abortion ban. The court will hear Mississippi's case on Wednesday. Governor Tate Reeves spoke at the event and hopes the court will overturn Roe v. Wade. He says there is no constitutional right to have an abortion. You read the Constitution, there's also nothing in it that restricts the state's ability to limit abortions with reasonable limits. This case is, this particular law uh, provides those reasonable limits and reasonable restrictions, and I'm confident that uh, if the court... Uh, reads the Constitution, they're going to rule in our favor. If the Supreme Court does overturn Roe v. Wade, a Mississippi trigger law could immediately ban abortions in the state. But Reeves says it's too early to estimate how the state will be affected. Bishop Joseph Kopatz of the Catholic Diocese of Jackson read verses from the Bible during the event and anti-abortion passages written by Pope John Paul. Each of us is made in the image and likeness of God. For this reason, direct attacks on human life, such as abortion and euthanasia, are always unacceptable. But sadly, these threats to life are often justified, protected, and even promoted by our laws and culture. But Hillary Schneller, with the Center for Reproductive Rights, 
says having access to abortions should remain a fundamental right. I mean, the Constitution protects our right to liberty and our right to bodily integrity. And there are few things, I think, that are more fundamental than being able to make the decision about whether to continue a pregnancy. An abortion rights rally will be held in Jackson later this week. Cubby Vance, MPB News. Across the way at the U.S. Capitol, lawmakers will return to business this week. Before the Thanksgiving recess, the House passed the Build Back Better bill, and the January 6th Select Committee, led by Mississippi Democrat Benny Thompson, issued another round of subpoenas. Our Michael Guidry caught up with Thompson to assess the progress of the investigation and his legislative goals for the rest of the congressional session. We have interviewed over 150 individuals. We've issued to date uh, over 50 uh, subpoenas to various individuals looking for uh, that information. We just issued subpoenas to the heads of the Oath Keepers uh, and the Proud Boys. Uh, I was two organizations who have a history of violence, who have espoused uh, uh, domestic violent extremist activities. And so they were there providing security. They had items like bear spray. They had uh, military-style garb on. Uh, they had Kevlar vests. They attacked members of the Capitol Police. Uh, ultimately, uh, it created a riotous situation. Uh, and what people saw uh, with their own eyes uh, happened. It was tragic. It was not who we are as a people. And our job as a committee, uh, after we get the facts and circumstances, is make recommendations to Congress as to how we can uh, prevent situations like that from ever happening again. You are the chairman of this committee, and you've just laid out what the objective uh, of the January 6th uh, Select Committee is. Uh, but 2022 is an election year. It's a midterm election year. Uh, and as, if precedent has taught us anything, uh, that the, the party that controls the White House, the party that controls the House of Representatives, often sees a little bit of a pushback in, in those midterm elections. Are you, and is the committee, looking to try to do this work as much, as quickly as possible uh, in case there is a leadership change in the House? Or uh, do you have the full confidence that this committee will be given the time and resources necessary to, to, to complete your objective? Well, we have been given the time and resources uh, right now to complete the objective. Uh, I'm convinced that we will do just that in terms of a timetable. Uh, we are optimistic uh, sometime in the spring, but it could slip to the summer. Uh, but by no means would it carry into the November elections. I'd like to shift focus to some of the most recent votes in the House. Uh, the first is the uh, censuring of Representative Gosar. When my question is, when you look at what was at the core of that vote and you look at the the way the votes were divided. What does it tell you about the current state of the body politic and the current state of the the House of Representatives that that vote was so partisan in nature? Well, it's unfortunate. Anytime a member of Congress 
threatens bodily harm uh, to another member, that deserves uh, censure. Uh, if that had been done in earlier Congresses, uh, that vote would have been different. But the polarization of Democrat and Republicans in Congress now uh, just says that even an admitted individual who threatened the life of another member of Congress uh, can't be sanctioned for that threat, says that the the body politic of the United States House of Representatives is clearly broken to the point that nobody looks at whether or not it's right or wrong, but they look at it whether it's Democrat or Republican. And unfortunately, uh, that's where we are at this point. The other vote is the Build Back Better bill. Um, it passed the House, again, closely uh, along party lines. It's headed to the Senate where it is anticipated it will be revised, uh, it will be changed before sent back over to the House. Is there anything inside that bill uh, that you, you kind of um, put your foot in the sand in when it comes to uh, revisions that the Senate might make as far as what you will vote to adopt? Well, uh, let me say that I understand a bill becomes a law based on compromise. No bill gets passed uh, as it initially was introduced. Bill Back Better is no different. But what I do see is opportunities to make Americans better off as Americans. For instance, if you're a student, uh, there's additional monies in the Pell Grant program uh, that will help you get that adequate education for you to be the best that you can be. Uh, if you're part of the uninsured in Mississippi, for instance, there are 159,000 people who will benefit from the existing uh, House-passed bill uh, to get uh, health care that they don't have uh, at this point. It extends earned-in tax credit. Uh, for individuals who make uh, below a certain amount of income. In addition to that, uh, it expands home and, and, and community-based care for senior citizens and disabled citizens in our state. Very rarely. So just like we help millionaire farmers uh, grow their crop in our state, just like uh, we give incentives to businesses to come, tax credit, tax incentives to come to our state, we should also look at those people who live in our state who are not so fortunate but deserve to have safe and sanitary housing, safe and sanitary drinking water, uh, as well as safe and sanitary uh, sewage. So uh, this is an opportunity. And those uh, people who have been blessed not to struggle like that, uh, they should be willing to help those who are not so fortunate. When this administration and this Congress uh, were all uh, confirmed earlier this year, uh, there was a checklist of priorities uh, c controlling the pandemic, uh, investing in infrastructure uh, in a broad sense. The third, voting rights. Where are we? Uh, is it something that's going to happen? Uh, is there a path uh, towards securing them? The, the legislation that you want. Uh, absolutely. The John Lewis 
voting rights bill, as it's commonly uh, referred to as absolutely essential. The John Lewis voting rights bill demonstrates and documents that there's still a need for federal oversight on elections in this country. Uh, our diversity is our strength. And it's only when people try to deny the diversity and strength of this country do we have a problem. Voting should be easy in America. Voting doesn't have to be difficult. And so the John Lewis Voting Rights Bill give voters an opportunity to support the candidate of their choice and does not place an undue burden on how you cast that ballot. So I look forward uh, to working uh, with the senators on, on a piece of legislation that just make voting easy. Uh, we can standardize it uh, and, and get on with it. Because in America, <laughs> we ought to pick our leaders at the ballot box and move on. That was Democratic Congressman Benny Thompson with our Michael Guidry. On tomorrow's show, the conversation continues with a focus on issues directly affecting Mississippi's 2nd Congressional District. Coming up, how the Build Back Better bill could change health care coverage in the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Build Back Better bill, President Joe Biden's package of social and environmental spending policies, is one step closer to becoming law after passing the House of Representatives this month. The bill includes paid family leave, universal preschool, and a series of tax reforms. It also could change the landscape of health insurance in Mississippi. Commissioner Mike Cheney shares more. This act includes expansion of Medicaid in 12 states that have not expanded Medicaid, and that includes Mississippi. And I want to caution and say the bill still has a way to go. It's got to be passed by the Senate and then uh, signed by the president if it becomes law. But if it were to become law in Mississippi, we would have approximately 200,000-plus people that would be eligible for Medicaid that could go to the Affordable Care Act federal marketplace, which uh, is essentially Obamacare to some folks, and get a policy that would cover them under Medicaid. The benefits would be essentially the same that we have today under Medicaid. Uh, It would be kind of a seamless deal. In other words, we already have the format in place, and uh, it would be beneficial to approximately 200,000 people in the state. We, as the Department of Insurance, would probably be responsible for running all of this on the ACA. I have had conversations with the Division of Medicaid and uh, CMS out of Washington as to how we could fit it in and who we would work with. And uh, I'm not concerned about that portion. If it becomes law, we'll handle it and pass, pass along the responsibility to the insurers to issue the policies and um, go from there. So essentially, they're taking the decision away from the states. Well, under the Build Back Better Act, 
the expansion of Medicaid would not be a state decision. It would be a decision by the federal government to expand Medicaid in those 12 states that had not expanded Medicaid. And most of those states have said they would not expand Medicaid because they were worried about the federal government's um, not reimbursing them for a lot of the cost of expansion. Under this plan, the uh, government guarantees at least three years of benefits under the Affordable Care Act uh, policies that would be issued. So the states have uh, no responsibility, do not put up any money for the next uh, 36 months in uh, essence. And that's subject to being expanded down the road to um, shift some other forms of Medicaid that are operated by various states into this new format. What's interesting is uh, this is something that um, Mississippi proposed over a decade ago to issue a policy because you know what it's going to cost. Uh, it's easier to control from a budget point of view and you can issue better benefits for the consumer. So it's a win-win for some folks. Um, and you'll have a lot of uh, people, the naysayers that will say, no, we don't like it because we did it wasn't our idea. So I, I just go along and obey the law and do what I have to do. But it's not there yet. There's still a ways to go. It's got a way to go. That's correct. What has to happen next? The U.S. Senate has to uh, agree on the bill or change it. My prediction is they will change it somewhat uh, by taking out some of the um, issues that people do not like in the Build Back Better Act. And most of that has to do with climate change and uh, clean energy. And uh, when they cut back some of those areas, then I think it will pass the Senate and go back to the House. And the House will have to concur. The U.S. House of Representatives will have to concur or deny the changes from the Senate. If they concur, it will then go to the president for his signature. If they do not concur, then uh, my guess would be that it's probably all over for right now. Commissioner Mike Cheney, thank you so much for explaining this bill to us. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Coming up, Mississippi's Christmas tree farmers prepare for the season. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. For many years, the weekend after Thanksgiving marks the beginning of the Christmas holiday season. And for Mississippi farmers in the Christmas tree business, it's a culmination of four years of work and care. So what goes into preparing a Christmas tree farm? Michael May, proprietor of Lazy Acres, tells our Karen Brown. A lot of patience and a lot of hard work. Um, to get into the business, when you plant your first tree, you can expect that it's going to take you about four to five years before you harvest that tree. So uh, it takes a while to recover your investment and your hard work. How much acreage generally does a producer have in Mississippi? Um, I would say probably, you know, a good-sized producer could, could handle – uh, four to five acres. You can get about 900 trees. If you use a seven by seven spacing, uh, you can handle about 900 trees to an acre. So 
I would say the average grower probably produces anywhere from 500 to 1,500 trees uh, a year, and you multiply that by four years uh, for your field rotation. So about four to five acres, and you could handle a Christmas tree farm. Do producers distribute their trees to sellers, or do they sell on their own farms? Uh, The overwhelming majority of growers in Mississippi will produce their trees on their own farm and then do what's called choose and cut, where the customer actually comes out to the farm and cuts. Very few uh, growers do any type of wholesale just because the Leland Cypress tree that we grow does not uh, hold up very well on like a tree tree lot or anything like that. And it's an experience for the family that comes to cut down their own tree. For sure. it's uh, That's one of the things that we market is a family experience. Uh, people come out and cut their tree and enjoy being together as a family and then taking it home and decorating it. Uh, it's a great family bonding experience. What can affect the crop, the Christmas trees themselves as they're growing? Are they susceptible to certain kinds of parasites or fungus, weather conditions? Yes, absolutely, and we have faced that this year. Uh, we received a tremendous amount of rain uh, through the spring and all the way through the summer, and um, we lost uh, a good number of trees, I would say 100 or more this year, to a root rot disease where the roots end up rotting just because they're sitting in too much water. How did the pandemic affect last year's sales? I can't speak for everyone else, but... Uh, For us, I I think it actually helped us because people were so excited and so ready to get outside uh, and do something outdoors. And uh, people realize the importance of family and um, and and just the experience of, you know, cutting that real tree and and having the joy of, of coming out and spending a day together outside. This year presents some challenges just in terms of things that are available, which I imagine would affect equipment and uh, fuel and other supplies. So would those higher costs be passed on to the consumer? I guess what I'm asking is, will Christmas trees be more expensive this year? Um, Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, The bottom line is yes. When when the cost of diesel fuel goes up, when the cost of your labor is going up, um, you know, of course, to stay in business, you have to pass those costs along. Any idea generally from all the farmers what that percentage of increase might be? Uh, probably 10 to 15 percent. I don't look for just a huge increase, mm-hmm. but you know, certainly probably 10 to 15 percent more. And now we should get to the, the Christmas tree. trees themselves. You mentioned Leland Cypress. What other kinds of trees do Mississippi farmers grow? Um, some growers uh, grow Virginia pine, uh, eastern red cedar, uh, Burkeye cedar, Carolina sapphire, and another variety called blue ice. Uh, so there's several different varieties to choose from. However, the Leland cypress does hold up probably better than most all of the others. Does it have a nice fragrance to it? Uh, actually, it doesn't smell that much. Uh, it, it's actually a, um, a hybrid tree, so there's really not a lot of pollen. The only way you can produce another Leland cypress is to cut, uh, take a uh, cutting. Um, so you don't get as many allergy issues with the Leland cypress as you do other varieties that have pollen. Well, so that's a lot of a pluses then. Tree. For those who are allergic yeah, to yeah. Christmas trees, that's an option for them. Yeah. I assume that the climate is too warm in Mississippi to grow firs or pines? It is. Um, 
I'm in central Mississippi, and, and we would love to grow a white pine, but we just can't grow it this far south. And I uh, would love to grow a Fraser fir, but uh, where we can grow a Leland cypress in four years in Mississippi, it typically takes about eight to ten years to get a Fraser fir. Overall, it sounds like in the state that there will be plenty of trees for people to come cut. It might be a little more expensive, but it's full steam ahead. Yes, absolutely. Michael May is the president of the Southern Mississippi Christmas Tree Association. Michael, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.